Now, talking of which, episode three, series two, I noticed uh, Masindo. Hello, Ricky Masindo. Hello. <laughs> so I am Mark Olver. This is Ricky Masindo. Um, if you listen to the podcast, you will know that. What you won't know if you listen to the podcast is uh, Ricky's face last week when we were talking to Lucy Porter, and I described this as episode two or described it as uh, series two after we had the conversation in episode <laughs> one about whether we call it chapters or seasons. <laughs> and I saw your face and you laughed. And you were like, in your mind, I knew what you were thinking. You were like, Olver has already forgotten <laughs> that he was calling this volume two, chapter two, or whatever. Am I right? Yes, definitely, because it's really difficult to be the admin person behind you. <laughs> like, what am I meant to call episode two now? Like, episode one will be chapter or whatever. Episode two will be chapter two in brackets, maybe. I don't know. But I'll also have to work it out. I knew it. I knew. I knew you could see. Just, uh, I, I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of months staring at your face on Zoom, uh, and so I know. I can see it. Uh, those that little flicker in his eyes. Uh, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, this is going to come back to haunt me." An editorial nightmare. That's what I was thinking. But we also have to remember, Ricky, at this stage in season one. I don't think we had even actually decided what the podcast was going to be called. So No, no, we hadn't. We hadn't. It was just like Mark podcast in all my documents. So let us uh, so let us be fluid with how we call each episode. So this is um, episode III. Um, <laughs> Roman numerals now, fair. Yeah, we're going Roman numerals. That's what I'll use. Yeah, so uh, episode triple I, um, and we've got an amazing guest today. So uh, probably, I don't know, you do the numbers, you're the admin boy, probably still one of our most listened to episodes. We've had Jimmy Carr, we've had John Richardson, we've had Nish Kumar, we've had Angela Barnes, uh, we've had Joe Lysett, but still one of the most popular episodes was actually, I think, episode three of last series, with Jenny Collier talking about agents. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that people have come up to me as well the most saying I've listened to. So I think, I think like the Jimmy ones had a lot of my friends from school being like, oh my God, you're in a podcast <laughs> with Jimmy Carr. But like, I think Jenny's one was actually the audience we're trying to reach, which is like- and Why do you, why do you think that one spoke to people? I think it, it spoke to them because it was like, it, it was very practical and it's something that people are, especially comics, are constantly thinking about. Like I was like, I had a, I was having a conversation with a bunch of uh, the comics who went on yesterday at Mr. Wolf's about agents and how much they matter, how much they don't matter and how like annoying it can be. And I, I, th- I think Jenny's got an agent now. Jenny has got an agent now, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. And she's got a good agent now as well. Well, she's with a really good agency, so um, that's so good. Fingers crossed, things go really well. I like to think it was because of the podcast that she absolutely. Got that. But this uh, and this episode is going to be another one of those slightly more practical ones, slightly more. I, I worry sometimes that 
Um, you're still a man who has only who has done 25 gigs or less, right? Yeah. Um, and so, am I right with the number there? By the way, 25, 24, 24, 24. I'm keeping up, you see. Yeah, you um, are, yeah. Mainly because I'm the one that books you for these gigs. <laughs> um, although I didn't see you, I didn't see you uh, on Saturday night, which we will talk about in yeah. due course. Um, in but your guest today, uh, I'm I'm really excited about this one. His name's Rooney Tawa. He yeah. is a Kiwi Indian. Australian, so wow. brought up in um, New Zealand, uh, Indian heritage, uh, gigged and worked in Australia, now came over here. And what yeah. I really like about this is we're going to be able to talk about, we talk a lot about performance. We talk a lot about all that sort of stuff. We talk a lot about finding your voice, writing jokes, blah, blah, blah. And he has got all that because he's been gigging for quite a while. He's not a new yeah. comedian. Yeah. But he's a new comedian to the British scene. I see. And in the beginning of lockdown, um, I had a, a long conversation with him on the phone. Uh, he sort of reached out on Facebook and I had a long conversation with him on the phone, basically just sort of explaining a little bit about the British scene, really, about mm. kind of what gigs to do, where to go, blah, blah, blah. And so he's been doing, he's been on that journey for the last year. So he's uh. got the chops and the comedy chops of someone who's slightly more experienced yeah. but has got the industry experience, the British industry experience, very similar to a very new comedian over here. So I think uh, this is going to be a really good one. That's really interesting. Yeah, I really want to talk to him. And we also, and uh, because he is a man of Asian descent, we at some point uh, will probably... Um, talk about now I, I was going to say talk about race and whenever i say talk about race i'm never i'm never a hundred percent happy using <laughs> the uh race feels like such an unusual word now. yeah and maybe it's all out there maybe it's because it's the prefix of racist or me but like race yeah Race feels like a weird word, basically. It is. It is. I mean, it's a. It's a. It's not even a. I guess it's because it's not even a scientific word. Like, it race is not a scientific concept. Race is just a social concept that we've kind of created amongst ourselves to be like, because it's not as because they're not. There is just the human race, the species, and then we've kind of subdivided ourselves into where we're from, and then created races around that. So I guess the best, better word would be ethnicity, but no one talks like that in conversation. No, no, that's true. And also, like where you're from, like I sort of think of you as being uh, from Bristol first, because that is where I met you. Yeah. Um, uh Zimbabwe uh because frankly of the shirts you wear and <laughs> uh and Bedford because that's where you grew up like yeah 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 from I my am a it, yeah it feels like an odd kind of uh an odd thing to talk about but but in the subject of of comedy I suppose we will use uh let's talk about race a little bit yeah <laughs> And we're going to talk about that now. And this is this is quite fun. We had a little bit of chat about this before the show started, um, because we're also using this podcast to uh, to chart Mr. Masindo's uh, career. 
Yep. Now, I booked you in for a gig on Saturday night um, in a small town just outside of Bristol. Uh, full mm-hmm. disclosure, because I think I've always been very honest with this uh, with this podcast. Um, we are keeping bits of information, um, vague and unknown, just yep. so this doesn't then become a specific conversation about a specific thing that happened with a specific person in a specific place. Very much like when we had questions for John Richardson, <laughs> I didn't tell me, but it was about John Richardson. So they could ask all sorts of questions. Exactly. Yeah. So we're going to keep it vague a little bit and we're not trying to tease people and all that sort of stuff. I just think it's much easier to have this conversation if we're not going all specifics all the time. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. It also makes it not just about what happened or, or anything in particular and more about the issue at hand. And the circuit in general and the comedy industry in general and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. I booked a gig uh, last weekend that Ricky did. I wasn't there. I booked it uh, in a small town just outside of Bristol, um, which is uh, sort of known in the area jokingly as being a little bit backwards, a little bit farmy, <laughs> a little bit countryside Um, Very much one of those places where you might think that if you live in London or if you live in a big city or if you live in Bristol, you're going to go into one of those places, open the pub door, and everyone will stop talking and stare at you. <laughs> <laughs> Thing is, that's so accurate, and things that I did not know before going to and the I, And this reminds me of a conversation that I had with Nish Kumar once, and I think he might have done it in stand-up, um, where him and Ramesh uh, Ranganathan were uh, doing a gig together, and it rarely happens that Black Acts or Asian Acts uh, do gigs together, but they were doing a gig together on the Isle of Wight, <laughs> and... And, you know, and that name is quite apt for the type of place the Isle of Wight is. It really um, is. And I think Ron went into a pub first and then five minutes later, Nish came in and it absolutely confused the fuck out of the patrons in this pub. And <laughs> that's sort of the type of place that the gig was on Saturday it's in the West Country. Um Nice little town, but has got that vibe to it. Um, The gig was... Uh, an odd little gig that there weren't many people at. There were like there were what twelve punters or something like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely like fifteen-ish. There was a mix of uh, there was a mix of uh, new comics. There was a mix of comics from Bristol, um, and it was and and not even deliberately, but it was just joyously and quite nicely a very diverse bill. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There was a Jewish guy. There was a Malaysian guy. There was an Asian girl. There was a black guy from yeah. Zimbabwe via Bedford and Bristol. There was. Yeah. Um, so, was. That's actually hilarious. And so, and then the headliner was a proper circuit headliner um, who I think is a really uh, great comic and has been doing the circuit for a very long time, um, always does well, older white guy, and halfway through the gig in a bit of... Uh, and I'm going to let you uh, tell me when this story is wrong, by the way, but I'm just giving yeah. like the previously on Ricky's life. Yeah. Um, and then halfway through the gig that he's doing all right in... He clumsily 
makes a reference to the fact that the gig is a bit weird and the fact that the bill is quite diverse and mm. uses words and language that you and not just the other black and Asian acts, but the other people on the bill yeah. were... Um, okay, so were offended by, were disturbed by, were discombobulated by, were yeah. upset by. What? How would you describe that feeling? I'd say I'd say there was a mixture uh, between all of us. I think I think um, the others were more offended at first. For me, I was more like I was more confused because I was like. Why? 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 Where did that come from out of nowhere? But then once I've thought about it more and more, now I'm kind of like, yeah, that's that was not that was not okay because I'm not a person who's used to being offended. Like I went to a boys' school, I was the only black person like in a group of like massive white people. So you know, I've been around the block, but like it, it was just very odd and a strange situation. The language that he used, he described the bill as a traveling circus, uh, yep. a freak show. Yep. Um, but he also used the word zoo. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now, it was like an anth anthropological study or something. And did so we think that he was doing improv. He went for the joke. Um, he made a clumsy reference. And you think he was trying to get himself out of that by uh, by trying to be funny and just went the wrong way? Yeah. Well, I mean, no, I, I think the thing is, my tendency is, especially with comedians, to give them credit because it's like I know I know like what like what Finn says, what you say on stage is often not what you mean and it's not what you even mean to come out like in the moment but at the same time I also know that when you're a comedian you also do just like you'll do whatever it takes to get a laugh so a lot of comedians don't care about what comes out they really do just want to get a laugh so they know what they're doing on some level but essentially my biggest problem with it was the fact that it's like I think you can make the you can make those kinds of jokes you can make offensive jokes you can be an offensive comedian like but you have to you can't be lazy with those kinds of things you can't that is not a joke that you say in improv or <clears throat> or something that you say off the top of your head that's something that you need to think about what you're really saying here because there's a fine line about being a racist comic and being a comic who tells jokes about race and if you're gonna do that you need to really think about it and it shouldn't be something off the cuff and it's also it's like imagine if that was any of our first gig how we would feel or and it, it's also messed up as well because before this is the kind of thing that a lot of um, people who are black and Asian kind of talk about that it's like I didn't even think that the bill was diverse until he pointed it out so it wasn't even I didn't when I walked into the room I didn't even have this idea of being an other but then he pointed it out and immediately all of us were strange and it was like the joke could have been haha you people are not used to seeing people who are diverse and maybe you're a bit close-minded as a result but then in the end it ended up just being haha these people are diverse they're from a different place isn't that funny yeah, absolutely. And that's my 
And that's my problem with it, really. Uh, I've got lots of other problems with it. I've got lots of other problems about the idea that uh, black people in this country, going back hundreds of years, were sometimes exhibited in museums <laughs> yeah. like an anthropological study or yeah. like a zoo. You know, there, there yeah. are historical accounts of, you know, tribes from Africa being brought over here and yeah. being set up so people could walk around and go, oh, look at this. So the language there is, even if there is no malice, and I don't think there was malice from this person. Neither do I. Yeah, neither do I, um, yeah. Because actually I had a text and he, he loved the gig, lovely bunch of people, blah, 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 nice gig, mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. The fact of the matter is, is that you're totally right. If it was your first gig, if, if some of the little diversity projects that we're working on in Bristol with young people. If some of those young people turn up to that gig mm. um, and sit in the audience, let's face it, it was a quiet gig. Uh, we could have got all of them in. <laughs> like, just sat at the back because it needed people in that gig. Um, yeah. What does that do to them? What does that, does that make them feel that they're comfortable doing comedy? Does it make them feel comfortable that, I, it's not a defense of this comic, but what, but the context is for a very long time in this country, all male bills and all white bills have been essentially the default. Yeah. Yeah. You turn yeah. up to a dressing room. It's all other white guys. You turn up late to a gig like a circuit comedian often does, because that's, this is the other thing. When it when you earn your money, when you're new, you turn up at the beginning and you're like, oh, I'm going to get there at half seven. I'm going to watch everything. <laughs> when you're a circuit comic, you're like, okay, well, I can get there in 20 minutes. I'm on stage <laughs> in half an hour. Brilliant. I'll rock up, do the gig, go out. Like, it's just that's what yeah. the culture yeah. of it is. And so, but unfortunately... Well, no, not unfortunately. Fortunately, I think that culture is changing yeah. because you don't do as many gigs as you used to. So you can get there early. You can make friends with people. You can chat. You can get the tone of the gig. And having dressing rooms that are more diverse, having bills that are more diverse, not just more often, but every single time. Yeah, yeah. Makes that lazy comment, that clumsy comment, a lot less likely to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, hello. Yeah, it's a... It's a <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Um, hello. Hi, Rudy Tower. How are you? Hi, guys. Have I interrupted something? Well, no. Yeah, you sort of have. <laughs> we never quite know. Sometimes we introduce the guest properly. Sometimes we uh, finish the little preamble bit early. Uh Sometimes we forget all about that sort of stuff and just crack <laughs> on and see a wonderful face pop up out of nowhere. Um, Ricky is in charge of the edit, so Ricky will then decide uh, later <laughs> on if we get rid of the absolute clumsy shambles of this podcast <laughs> and make it look professional or whether we just stay absolutely shambolic. What are we thinking, Ricky? I think let's make this one shambolic. Absolutely <laughs> shambolic. I was going to say, you need to jump back in and do give a proper entrance. I'm more than happy. Nah, well, I'll be honest time. with you, mate. You don't deserve it. You do not yeah. deserve <laughs> it. I'll be honest you with you. I don't deserve to be on this podcast, if I'm honest. Uh, yeah, no, you don't. You, you absolutely don't. Mate, uh, and for very specific reason, you thought this podcast was next week. I did. I did. 
I thought you said Monday week instead of Monday day. Oh, you know, I'm starting to, to think. I'm starting to think that the problem is with me because, <laughs> because Ricky no. and I what had a conversation about when the first episode was going out, and he was like, "Next Saturday," and I was like, "Brilliant, this Saturday." And then I saw him. He went, "No, not this Saturday. Next Saturday." And I went, "Yeah, that is next Saturday." And so it must have been exactly the same with you. Can it do it next Monday? Of course I can. Over. No, I mean Monday. Anyway, so it's my. <laughs> <laughs> you mean yeah. the next Monday in your life? I get it now. I think the, I mean next, the next Monday. Monday in my life. Um, yeah, <laughs> Rooney, you have come in uh, at a very interesting conversation, which we are not going to finish. Uh, no, so w- which we are going to finish, um, but with you here. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff. We're going to talk about your career. We're going to talk about coming to the UK. Um, unfortunately. You have come in at the time when uh, Ricky and I were doing essentially our first serious conversation about race and racism in the British comedy industry. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. My time to shine. So, but this will be interesting, actually, because uh, you spent a lot of time gigging in Australia. And so Mm -hmm. I'm guessing the shape of the gig. We're talking about a gig that Ricky did on Saturday night in a slightly backwards town in uh, the West Country um, with a diverse bill, a bill that was more diverse than the town itself. Um, The headliner who had not seen the gig, older white guy, um, has a little bit of a, a bounce, bit of improv, starts talking about how diverse the bill is and then describes it as an anthropological study, a traveling circus, a freak show, and a zoo. It does open up conversations about uh, about your experience in Australia. This is a psychology about- podcast, right? This isn't a comedy <laughs> yeah, podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, no, it just it opens up all these discussions. It opens up what it's like working in Australia, the difference between Australia and the UK, which is kind of one of the reasons I've got you on. But it's it's also about and actually, it is about the comedy industry in this in this country because this is what we were discussing uh, when you uh, when you popped up uh, mm. into this room. Uh, we were discussing that the comedy industry in this country for so long, the default was white guys on stage, white guys in dressing rooms, white guys chatting with other white guys, white guys yeah. doing together and doing white guy things <laughs> you know well, it's not just the white guys on stage it's the white guys on stage and then the white guys that book those white guys and then the white guys that put them in touch with those bookers it's, it's whites all the way down sorry guys <laughs> it's white guys all the way down but i don't know but it always has been it has been it has been and i think that's changing and because i know the comic that we're talking about I know that there is no malice there. So it was clumsy and it was a bit lazy and it was all of those sorts of things. Yeah. But for me, the most important part of that is what happens if there is another black act who's done 20 gigs like Ricky, but doesn't have Ricky's supernatural confidence. What happens if they turn up at that gig? (laughs) Oh, if I was 20, when I was 20 gigs in, if I heard that and I'll be honest, I've heard variations on that when I was 20 gigs in. And it fucks with you. It, it, it really does because you're already, um, you're already having every conversation that they've had. You've already had it in your head because you're putting yourself in the mind of who would not like me, who would not listen to me. And by default, I'm already having these arguments in my head of like, 
Like who wants to hear about, uh, like for my example, I, I'm culturally Indian. So a lot of my sort of reference points or stuff that I talk about, I try and relate back to, to India or not a lot of stuff, but certainly certain bits. And while starting out, there was a lot of self-doubt anyway of like, nobody's going to relate to this, even though the reality is they will, because that's the beauty of comedy is you can relate to anything if it's told well. Um, so to have that self-doubt anyway, it doesn't help when then you've also got a headline level comedian being like, yeah, look at these losers. What do they think? <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. And that's a really interesting point. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation on the podcast. It's why I wanted to have this. Why when uh, the two other acts who were there came up to me yesterday and they were like, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> and, and they seemed a bit awkward about it. And I was like, bring it on. Let's have this conversation because yeah, that's absolutely. the only way that, that the change, there's no point in hiding about this. So let's, we'll talk about you coming over to the UK first and yeah. we'll, we'll seg from this conversation into Australia. Australia, one of the lazy stereotypes of Australians mm. is that Australians are a bit racist. How true is that? I rely on it for a lot of my material. <laughs> <laughs> how, how true is that stereotype when you're gigging around Australia? Yeah, so obviously I'm going to caveat everything by saying I'm by no means an authority on Australian comedy or um, any comedy whatsoever <laughs> but even you've got personal experience even my own so. comedy i'm sure my girlfriend is a better judge of my own comedy than i am um <laughs> but what i will say is australia as an undercurrent in society is a bit it's not it's not racist it's, it's blind to race which in and of itself as a principle is great if you live in an ideal world but uh in reality just means that um anytime something uh, comes up which is a bit iffy or conversations like this where you need to talk about it uh it's not really spoken about and it's not really encouraged to be delved into um from my experience there are places like you have in the uk that are like i i hold back on the brown stuff you know or i go light on it i'll reference it because you know I can't, I can't white up and go on stage. Not yet. Anyway. I don't have enough cachet in my career. Um, but I, uh, I will, I will temper my thing, my stuff depending on the audience. Um, that being said, it is, I do find it, I lock myself a lot freer in the UK to talk about that kind of stuff than I would feel in Australia. And I don't know whether that is just my own internalization of what I think Australia is like, and it's actually fine. And if I do talk about that stuff, it'll all go well. But in general, I feel like audiences here, especially in more like London and the bigger cities and stuff, mm. tend to be more, um, they're more willing to go with you along the journey, if that mm. makes sense. Um, so a lot of times, especially in Australia, they'll, you'll sort of have to get to the, all right, what's the funny part here? What's, what are you relating to us with? You have to get to that point really quickly and they won't necessarily give you the, the um the time or even just a little bit of the benefit of the doubt to be like you will go somewhere funny with this we'll give you the benefit of the doubt uh in the, the uk you get that a lot which is good for um a comedian who's coming in as an outsider because you need that a bit because they've not seen you they don't know who the hell you are you need to be like stick with me for a minute and mm. and let me try and make you laugh i don't know how if that's long did a you, huge uh, generalization or not. <laughs> how long did you gig in so did you start your open spots in New Zealand? 
No, no, no. So I never, I've never gigged in New Zealand. I am from New Zealand. Um, but I started gigging when I moved to Sydney for university. Um, I had a bit of a bit of a stop start start to it. Actually, I sort of did my first gig when I was about twenty one, and then I did a, which went well, and then I did a second gig which did not go well, uh, and then I didn't do comedy for about a year, um, just because it was in my head about it, um, and I sort of caught that bug about a year and a bit after. And so then for the last sort of six or so years, um, I've been gigging in Australia. And then I moved over here right before a global lockdown. So. Um, <laughs> when you were in Australia, did you go full time? Were you making money? Were you? No, so I wasn't full time. Definitely not. I was doing paid spots at the places where you can get paid spots. But um, Australia, from a pure stand up perspective, is a lot smaller a scene than the UK certainly and in terms of just being able to be a working road comic and you're earning all your money from comedy it's certainly orders of magnitude less in terms of how many people can actually realistically do that as a career um, and so for me I was sort of started doing paid stuff and I still have to have my part-time job on the side that kind of thing and it sort what of was came the, uh, about what was the part-time job? So I have an I have an engineering degree. I'm one of those oh. one of those agents. So <laughs> uh, I have a I, I did a part-time job uh, job at a software company basically, and that's like three days a week, and that I still like work from home oh, now. Oh, okay, software like engineering. Yes. Oh, yes. thank fuck for that. I just don't think I trust like people, <laughs> people building bridges part-time. Like I don't <laughs> think. Look, it'll be but, done when it's done over. <laughs> so so Rooney we'd love you to work on this bridge yeah absolutely but I've got a couple of late night gigs do you mind yeah. if I just come in after four hours sleep I'm doing the bolts bit of the bridge that works, that works. okay software I'm absolutely fine with absolutely Look, you fine. can jump the last meter everyone can jump the last meter <laughs> everyone has that capability don't tell me you don't um, um, so yeah. did you then think to yourself and this is uh this is quite exciting because I think this is when uh, we're very close to Mark Olver entering the story. But did oh, you yeah. think to yourself... Which is where the story really starts. This is my favourite, yeah. This is the this is the <laughs> prologue. <laughs> so the first 28 years, 27 years, were basically the prologue to the Rooney and Mark Olver story. I think actually what you mean is the story only really gets interesting when the old white guy comes in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I forgot my place there, old. Sorry, that's about that. absolutely no problem. A supporting character <laughs> in, in his own story. How silly I was to think I could be the lead. That is really funny, isn't it? There's probably so many films that you can talk about and think about in TV programs where the film is about the black guy or the film is about the Asian woman. It's the biography of their life. Yeah. And then you turn out, it turns out in the film that it's all <laughs> the white yeah. guy. What, what's interesting you say that is because it's almost the, the opposite of, um, there was a movie a few years ago called The Last Samurai, which yeah, uh, was yeah. a Tom yeah. Cruise vehicle. Well, it yeah. was marketed as a Tom Cruise vehicle. And when you watch it, you realize it's actually not, he's in like three or four scenes. He's basically a supporting character, but it's almost like, the studio they did all the hard work they made a good movie with non-white lead and they were like oh we can't advertise it like this <laughs> we've got to show tom cruise and, oh, and well, there was like, matt damon only a couple of years ago in the great wall the great wall that's it <laughs> same it's same thing it's that whole white savior trope right and it's um 
Hi. It's been around for a long time. <laughs> and this podcast is a big proponent of it. No. <laughs> we, we, I, I must, I must admit, it is a, uh, a, it is an internal criticism that we have frankly uh, either ignored at all. And I'll tell you why. We've, we've either ignored or we've combated head on. Um, <laughs> Uh, at one point, I described myself as Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds. I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy with that. I never even put that one together. That is just a white you know, I've been listening. I've been listening to the ep- early episodes, and I've been trying to place which Michelle Pfeiffer you you were seeing yourself as. So interesting. Uh, I was uh, thinking oh, Catwoman. Oh, well, thank you very much. Oh, just you know, really... just that general undercurrent of. Are you a good guy or a bad guy? I don't know. <laughs> uh, what about, uh, it, throw this in your uh, mental image, um, mm. the fabulous Baker Boys, uh, one of her first, where famous scene, red dress laying on a piano. Oh. Uh, Ricky, why did you make that noise then? Are you having <laughs> a red dress laying on a piano? I mean, I can't not yet. Now you said it, it's there. <laughs> Everyone listening is thinking about it. If you're driving, you're thinking about it right now. <laughs> Oh my God! You've caused so many accidents over. I know. I apologize. I apologize. But so when you came over here and you were doing some competitions, uh, you were doing some open mic gigs. You were, you know, getting in with promoters over here. Did mm. you ever do the thing uh, that sometimes? And Ricky, uh, you're allowed to write this note down because this is a really good tactic. Um, did you ever pretend that you weren't? That you hadn't been gigging for as long as you had, so uh, <laughs> so you do that thing where you rock up and you've actually been gigging for six years, and you just go, "Oh yeah, no, I'm quite new. I've only been gigging for about three years. I do twenties at home. What you want me to do a seven? Oh, <laughs> I'll try my best. And then- <laughs> yeah, no, not a, It's so interesting. I I do I do always feel in my head, and it's, it's a, something you should never do. Um, if there's any advice I can give Ricky, is um, get out of your head as much as you can as a comedian mm. i know it's not easy but there is often times when you're like oh, i should be further along because i've been going so long that kind of thing but i'd never i'd never lie if, if your aim is to get in with clubs you're aiming to try and show them that you are a certain quality of comedian right and you want to show them how you are as a comedian who, who you are as a as an act and they can then see where you're going to go so if i say to people oh i've been doing 20s but you know i'll do a seven and I do a great seven, they'll say, great, you're on 20 next week, and I'm fucked. <laughs> so, and all, all that's going to do is ruin my career in the long run, because yeah. you can, people will, um, and this is in my experience as well, when comedian, like bookers and clubs and stuff first see comedians, they make a judgment at that point. But that judgment only lasts until the next time they see you. Uh. You know, so like, you can be really shit, but then if you have a great set, they'll think you're a great comedian. But similarly, you can be have a great first open spot, and the next time you see you die, they won't book you again. Uh, uh, and it's, and it's, a, it's a tough balance to try and fight, because ultimately you're trying to say to them, hey, give me opportunities, I want to show what I can do. But you don't want to set yourself up to fail, if that makes sense. There was yeah. a uh, there's a famous story uh, from America. I can't remember the actual comics, and I think it might even be an urban myth and apocryphal story about doing one of those big Johnny Carson chat shows in the sixties and seventies. And this guy, who's now quite famous, and again, I wish I could remember the two names. Were like, um, so the advice I was given before doing the chat show was 
don't do your best five. Uh, do the stuff that is quite good because then when you're rebooked, then you do your best five and then you become a superstar. And yeah. so this guy was like, oh, okay. So he didn't do his best five and didn't get rebooked. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and again, you're taking that approach the wrong way. The reality is you should say, do your best five. And then the next time you be a book, make sure you have enough to have another cracking five, you know? Um, mm. I think they say, they said that about, um, I think it was Babiglia or someone in the States when he had already had like three hours of material, rock solid, bulletproof, tried and tested material before he did his first five minutes on David Letterman. And, and that's the thing. And he, and I remember watching, I don't know if it was his first five, but I remember as a kid watching Babiglia on Letterman late night in New Zealand and thinking, oh, I can do comedy. As a, and I, I'm, that sounds insulting to Babiglia. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, I, this is a career end. You can be irreverent and silly about yourself. He has a joke, and I still remember it to this day. Probably one of the earliest, like, good stand-up jokes where I thought, "Oh, this is funny." Um, he said he because his name's Babiglia. He has a joke where he goes, um, "Because of my name, people always give me weird nicknames. Like they would say, like Babig Tits or Babigliography or Faggot." And that was the joke, and it was so funny to be like, "Oh, he's joking about himself." And I know it's like a, it's not a word you use right now, and I, that's uh, part and parcel of again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything in comedy is cached around. <laughs> by the way, all comedians before 2015 were psychos. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have to take the good and the bad. But that joke to me was basically an example of, oh, he made fun of himself, so nobody else can make fun of him, and he did it on TV. Mm. Like that's crazy. Yeah, that you can do that. Um, so, and, but again, it, he did that having a whole like five to 10 year career behind him where he's been just plugging away, coming up with bulletproof stuff, touring. And then when he was exposed to the wider world, you know, when you book the bigger, you're going to get a, a solid act and you know that he's going to be able to do it. So there is an, an element of wanting to get ahead quicker than you, than you should maybe is the right word. I don't know if should is the right word, but you want to get ahead quickly because you don't want to feel like you're making progress. But I do think that it can be fraught and you can get ahead too quickly in some cases. And, and this is just for your own development as a comedian. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's like, uh, because like I just, so I do medicine at uni. It's mm -hmm. like, and, and it's like, it's a very hierarchical, you know, at, in three years time, you will be at this point in your career. Oh, you know yeah. exactly what you're going to be making, how to move forward, what exams to do. But it's like with comedy, your career is almost in your head in some ways, like where you are in your career. Like, unless you have tan the tangible things like being on TV or doing headlining or stuff like that. But it's like, there's, there's, there's certain points where you're kind of like, where you have a bunch of comedians in a room and you kind of know who the most successful ones are, but that's kind of just based on nothing a lot of the time. Yeah, but I also think that success, because you're right, it, there is no pathway, right? Like in medicine or in engineering or in any of the sort of traditional, you know, sciences or whatever you want to call it. And in many ways, it's sort of your success depends on what you view as success, right? So yeah. if you view success as being on TV, then until you get on TV in a few years time, you'll think I'm not successful. Um, but if, you're, if you view success as get to a level where I can headline clubs and get paid for them, you'll get success quicker than someone else whose success values are 
doing an Edinburgh show or doing, you know, having my own sitcom, all of this sort of stuff. Mm. It really depends on what you view as success and what you view as being, I guess, a goal or an ambition. Yeah, uh, I sort of think that I sort of think that there is a pathway, but I don't know if the pathway is the yellow brick road. I don't. Well, know what I was going to say is they're, they're milestones, right? But milestones. there's a pathway. They're, it's it's a map of this is where you need to get to. This is the point you have to hit, right? You're you're on a road trip and you need to hit all these towns, but there is no right or wrong way to hit those towns. Some people and also there's direct. no right or wrong time to hit those towns. No, exactly, mm. exactly, and. <clears throat> Whether or not you see people going to a town or whatever earlier than you, that doesn't mean you're not going to get there. And it doesn't mean that you can't get there. Um, it doesn't mean that you will get there either. It, it literally means nothing. Everyone's on their own journey. And, and that's, and that's the, the difficult thing to wrap your head around because in so much of your life, you're outside of like the arts in general, you're taught that there is a way to do things. There's a way to live. There's a way to behave. There's a way to work. There's a way to raise a family, all of that sort of gear. And so what you're just saying with comedy is um, none of it matters. None of it makes sense. You're only as good as what you're doing at that moment. And you're only as bad as your last set or whatever you want to say. And it's scary, but it gets to a point where it's freeing as well. Because now I can't work full time in a nine to five. It would crush me. Uh, Spirit-wise, <laughs> oh, I couldn't so. do it. I couldn't go back to an office. I absolutely no. couldn't. When we're talking about milestones, and so for me, it's a little bit about you. And we've, I think, we've probably talked about this on the podcast before. We probably did this in episode one with Robin Morgan. Uh, you do your five minutes. Uh, if people like you at open mic gigs, you'll go back and do five minutes. You'll go and do other gigs. Other comics will tell you to go and do those gigs. You do those. Uh, then you're good tens, and then maybe someone will go, "Oh, I'll give you." 50 quid to go here uh and then if you do well the next time you go back maybe you'll get 100 quid to go there or maybe you'll get a hotel maybe they'll pay for your train fare maybe you know and and those little milestones are it is about the time you're on stage i do think that's really important five sevens tens twelves fifteens twenties twenty fives hour you know all that sort of stuff yeah money helps but money helps as a but even as you're saying indicator of how you're doing yeah, but even as you're saying those milestones, even you're saying the word maybe, right? And that's the, yeah, key yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> the key thing is there is no, if I see someone who I think, oh, they're at my level, oh, they've done an, a headline spot at a, a club, that doesn't mean then a milestone to me is I have to do a headline spot at that club. But mm. in your head, you convince yourself, oh, I have to do these exact things. And that's why it's about understanding what your aim is, right? What, why are you doing comedy in the first place? For me, I do comedy because that's the only place I feel comfortable when I'm on stage and for me I just want to make as many people laugh as I can and hopefully those groups of people get bigger and bigger and bigger um but again it's a hope thing it's a maybe thing I can't be like oh I've done 50 people I need to do 60 people next gig I need to do 70 people the gig after it doesn't work like that and there is no I agree with you all there are there are sort of high level aims you can get to but I think when you start to think about like, I need to do this gig for this amount of money, if I've not made this amount of money this year, then I'm not successful as a comedian, all of that sort of stuff. All it does is serve to put more blocks in your own brain when the reality is the only solution is just gig and write. <laughs> yeah, so. the, I mean, again, I've said this before, but 
me and Russell Howard started at the same time and our thing was always, we wanted to do 20 gigs a month. We just wanted to do. Yeah. And then if we were doing 20 open spots a month, maybe they would turn into paid gigs. Um, I'm aware that no matter how hard I keep trying to shoehorn my appearance into this narrative, <laughs> you two fuckers keep tangenting away from it. But Sorry. I've, I've Sorry, put my jacket on. Well, I'm, I'm waiting well. for my, I'm waiting for my entrance. Here we fucking go. So, Ricky, when you do the edit, if you could play some big intro music at this bit, that'd be absolutely lovely. I don't care what it is. I'm just because I, I'm now entering the narrative. Ricky. Can you find the whatever song was playing during the red dress scene? Because <laughs> you know that's right, the that music down. you want. Write that down. Do not no. write that down. <laughs> Ride of the Valkyries. Ride <laughs> of the Valkyries. From it's a not Ride of the Valkyries. So no, I come in. I come. I come in to this narrative because we spoke on the phone last year yes. during lockdown. And we and we basically had a conversation basically about the British comedy industry and about kind of how to get gigs and where to get gigs and all those. So you'd already done some. Had you felt that you would hit a little bit of a brick wall, not just caused by the pando, but just like, why did you feel that you needed to? What was that, Ricky? What happened then? Where's Ricky going? <laughs> Ricky's <laughs> on the move. Ricky's had enough over. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. A pigeon just flew in my room. <laughs> oh, oh my fucking god. I just had to, <laughs> I just had to swat it away. Wow. Uh, yeah, a pigeon uh, just, I was going to say the pigeon can, wow. listen, can listen in, can hit yeah, all the time. It's a fan. I cannot believe that even when I'm trying to enter the story. <laughs> A pigeon manages, ironically, to stage a coup. Um, <laughs> oh, too good, Wow, wow. Take the week off after that one. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you very much. Um, is the pigeon okay and are you okay? Yeah, yeah the window's closed. We're all good. It literally got into the room. Oh yeah, yeah, it was on. It was like looking in, like what's because there's, there's like a nest outside my window. So I've always had my window open, and the pigeons have never come in because I I just thought they have like a psychological barrier. But then one got too fucking close, and I was like, yeah. no, I have you not set this. That president. one is the stand-up comedian of the pigeon community. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> he's the one who takes that risk. Yeah, he's what the one the who's doing that 20. He's he not said, got fuck 20. your society, fuck your rules. I don't care if I'm not allowed to go. If you say I'm not allowed to go in that room, that's the one place I'm going to go. <laughs> I like that guy. I'm signing him. I'm signing oh, him. That's, that's the lesson. That's the lesson. That's the, real, that's the real diversity comedy that I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, where are the bird comedians? <laughs> or, or, or female comedians, as some people call them. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, okay, so Ricky is having a moment. Pidgey yeah. yeah. All right. Let's, let's bring you. Let's bring the story to where it needs to be, which is enter Olva. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just to let you know. Uh, anyway, so um, uh, you phone me. Yes. Well, we you put about... out a Facebook message uh, last year, which you got in trouble for. A little um, bit. A little bit, which is. <laughs> so funny to me uh for people who don't know Olva put out a facebook post basically saying look i it's locked down everything's gone to shit there is a problem in with diversity in comedy in the uk um which until then no one else had noticed uh <laughs> so 
fair play to Olva, bringing it up, having those difficult <laughs> conversations. Um, and then Olva did an incredibly nice thing where he put out a Facebook post to saying, look, I want to help people, mentor people, try and help people who aren't represented in those comedy uh, scenes to see any advice that a veteran comedian can give, which and is I'll lovely. Do it for free. And you'll do it for free. And that was what caused you an issue because then you had lots of people who uh, like to charge money for that kind of stuff saying, hey, you're you're ruining our careers, um, oh. which which is, um, let's be honest, if you're relying on your career being like, oh, if anyone's giving free advice, then it's ruining my career, then I have some bad news for you. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not gone well. Yeah, I mean, the uh, internet. Wait, wait, sorry. Wait, is that like people who do like comedy courses or yeah, they're like sorts of things okay. comedy teachers how okay. think how they're over give away these pearls of wisdom for free now in fairness i do also think since then i do think that comedy courses paid comedy courses do have a place. I think people, directors have a place. I think uh some trainers have a place. I do think that's a place. But I but I also you think, are replacing them. That's but I thing. also think free things have a place. And I think oh, free things have a place be, to it's try and help. To me that you had to apologize for being nice. <laughs> yeah. And isn't yeah. that the biggest like indictment on the comedy industry around the world? That I, you, it goes back to that. Your faux was you were too nice. It goes back to that solidarity of comedians that I sort of think, you know, I'm trying to do it for free. And um, because uh, because Rooney uh, is an immigrant, uh, he uh, he wanted to free shit. So he oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, immigrants. Oliver, if you said give, uh, it'll be for one pound, we would never be friends. <laughs> Absolutely, never. 100%. Um, um, although, so yeah, you put, could give so me some Oliver money. put though. out this lovely post, and then I reached out to you. And you're right, it wasn't necessarily a block per se. It was partly was, you know, the, the pandemic and not having any sort of... It's already a murky path forward anyway, right? It's, it's all nebulous. You don't know what's going on if you're doing the right thing. To then have that lockdown on top of it, it was basically just I saw an opportunity to, to speak to someone who knows the industry very much like this podcast, right? It's basically mm. just talking to someone who knows what they're talking about, which is difficult at times to get. Because a lot of times when people will talk to you, even if they know, you know, what they're talking about, they're talking at you from a perspective of, but you know, I am a comedian myself and I still care about my career first and foremost. So I want to help you out, but within reason. Um, and I never felt that from Olva. Olva, in many ways, doesn't have a career. And no. <laughs> oh, I mean, I will. I will be honest with you, mate. If 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 you ever start trying to get into the TV warm up thing, I will fuck you up. I will absolutely. <laughs> gigs. I believe it. Gigs, gigs, gigs uh, and stuff, circuit gigs, Edinburgh festivals. I am happy to give people as yo, much you, advice as. You would as... get me on TV before you let me do TV warm up. Oh, uh, <laughs> mate, mate, when I get you on, if you, if I get you on TV, I am saying to the producer, don't let that prick see my warm up. Keep him backstage. <laughs> don't even let him close to the set until he goes on. Um, I'm doing yeah. this podcast with Ricky Masindo, but if Ricky thinks there's ever going to be a warm up episode, he's got <laughs> absolutely wrong idea. I am oh. keeping all that sweet, sweet dollar for myself. <laughs> 
And <laughs> the funny thing is, part of me now wishes that I can have a successful TV career if only to then eventually move to TV warm-up with your app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I see if I see you enough, I, I could do it, I reckon. Oh, don't, don't even! Oh God, I'm genuinely. You have a Google. lot of Indian material, yeah. right? Over. I do a lot of Indian material. A lot of. Yeah. yeah. Ricky give me a lot of Zimbabwean material. I feel. Yeah. I feel like I could do every show. <laughs> you should. Um, um, you, you guys do already, right? <laughs> so, tell Sorry, me. To bring it back to your story. Yeah. So. No, I no, no. I want to know. I, I want to know because basically that's this episode. What did we talk about? that helped what did we talk about that helped you sort of navigate that world a little bit really well it was so at the time i wasn't with anybody agent wise or anything and i um i guess at that time it was i i remember i spoke to you about a lot of the topical stuff and a lot of doing like topical shows and writing for topical things and at the time, I just needed to get an understanding of there are so many avenues in comedy, right? You can go into writing, you can go into doing, if you want to do just improv shows, you could do just do straight stand up, you can do sketch, you can do so much. Um, but I really wanted to see, almost like not and how, but almost just to know is there a pathway? Like, am I crazy for thinking that I could make a career of it? Um, and I think that conversation with you was really helpful just to be like yeah if you were you said three things and i know you said this on the podcast as well and i, I still remember it then you said the three keys to being successful is be funny work hard don't be a dick yeah and those three things i think is probably the the most important thing that i took from that even though those things when you hear them you're like oh yeah of course those things are obvious and you you want to think you've been doing those things your in your career anyway but when you, the way you sort of articulated them was a big help to me because it's sort of put into place that all the other stuff that you think you want or you hope you want or those goals or milestones, they'll fall into place if you do the basics right. And the basics ultimately is be the best comedian you can be. Because comedy is one of those things where y you can be undeniable as a comedian. And that really means you can be so good that nobody can deny that you're a phenomenal comedian. And in very few other things, do you get the opportunity to showcase regularly how good you are at the thing if you don't get the opportunity. Whereas mm. with stand-up, if you're a phenomenal comedian, people will eventually know you're a phenomenal comedian. It's just about getting enough. Um, and so there is a meritocracy element to that, which you don't get in a lot of, um, a lot of other industries. And I think you sort of helped clarify that for me a lot. And certainly I took a lot of confidence from that being like, Look, of course I don't know the path forward. Nobody fucking knows the path forward. People who've been doing it for 20 years don't know the path forward. The key thing you do know, the thing you can control, is what you do as a comedian. Yeah, and also as a person. Because, and as a person, So yeah. when you talk about those, those three things, and I do talk about this a lot, I did have an idea, going back to that comedy course thing where people take money from people, I did have an idea once to do a three-day residential course and charge loads and loads of money. And on the first day, i just walk out and go, be funny, see you tomorrow. Yeah. And on the second day, i walk out and go, work really hard, see you tomorrow. And on the third day, i go, I have been a massive dick charging all the money. Don't be Don't a massive be dick. <laughs> but, but the be funny bit, you can extrapolate work hard and don't be a dick be funny quite straightforward you just be funny and mm. it's it's so funny isn't it because you're there it, it is the right answer and the wrong answer as well because 
be, I know it's so nebulous. If someone isn't inherently funny, it's hard to say to them, just be funny. Um, mm. Then you get into real, into stuff, which I'm not a big fan of when the people like analyze jokes and have A mm. threads and B threads and pull back yeah. reveals. All of that sort of stuff is great, but it's just trying to find, you're trying to capture lightning in a bottle at that point, And that's not how it works. And that's no. why, and that's why work hard is the thing. Because that's it. Because you can build those. If you have an a instinct for funny, and I genuinely think most people have an instinct for funny, not at the same level <laughs> as a lot of people, <laughs> but I think most people can at least understand what's funny and what isn't. Some people, and I have met comedians like this, where you just think, how on earth did you think that was funny? Not even like, mm. oh, you tried something and it didn't work. <clears throat> you not structured that like a joke, like that kind of stuff. Mm. All of that can then comes into the work hard stuff where if you've got that nugget of you can understand what's a funny joke, what's not a funny joke. And you, you know that because you'll start to figure that out for yourself as you watch comedy, as you sort of start to appreciate what you like, what you don't like. Not every comedian is for everyone, but you'll start to feel, oh, this is the kind of comedian I like and therefore this is the kind of comedy I want to do. Then it's just about working hard. And working hard, there is no substitute for just writing and gigging. And it's it's the oldest cliche, but you just write and gig. You are you right. Can. There is a slight substitute, and that goes into the don't be a dick thing because you yeah. can extrapolate from don't be a dick into going socialize a bit, chat to people. Like it's not just about schmoozing, it's not just about being cynical. Some people are excellent at the cynical thing, some people are excellent at the schmoozing thing, and their careers can go really far. In Edinburgh, people go out drinking until 6 a.m. Yeah. with the right commissioners, they do all that, they know what they're doing. But at a base level, it's I mean, Ricky, you went to a gig last night that you weren't on <laughs> to hang around with the other comics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're hanging around with the other comics. You're watching those comics on stage. You're making friends with those comics. You'll be, and those friendships will then turn into projects with those other comics. And you will have a conversation with comics. Um, and one of those conversations, someone will go, oh God, that could be a good bit. And you go, oh shit, yeah, that could be a good bit. Yeah. Or you have mm. a conversation with that comic and they'll go, you know that bit you're doing? Well, I reckon if you did that bit there, that bit there. And we spoke to Lucy Porter last week about being in the Manchester scene. Mm. That's what it is. It's just, it's being able to, if you're a dick, people probably won't want to do car shares with you. And if you're not a dick, you get to do a four hour car share with someone who is a bit like you and sometimes a bit better. And (laughs) you talk about some material and you go, oh shit, I can put that spin on it. That's what I mean by not being a dick. Yeah, but I, um, but I think the, the the interesting thing to that as well, to add on to that, is you, you can't go into scenarios like that, at least as far as I know, like you said, sh- trying to schmooze or trying to network for the sake of networking. Mm. Ultimately, when you're talking about, like, don't be a dick and, you know, hanging out with other comedians, socializing, I do comedy because I think comedians are the best. I fucking love comedians. Um, yeah, me too. Just being able to hang out and chat shit and know that it's all it's all gravy and you're all fine and you're all sort of. I think they're the overrated. I think they're overrated, <laughs> but carry on. I think some of them. Are. I think I think a certain subset are. Um, I think older, an older subset, uh, a, a whiter subset. No. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> 
with exceptions, of course. Um, I'm a big, a big fan of John Richardson. Um, <laughs> Good guy, great guy. Uh, the, um, but yeah, it's it's that idea of like I like hanging out with comedians. I love shouting the shit. And so if you're being just a fun person to hang out with and hanging out at clubs and stuff and then you happen to be good and you happen to write a lot it would be insane it would be weirder for you to not get gigs at that point you know mm. especially yeah. if you're hanging out with comedians who or bookers and people who see it would be stranger for them to not it would be a, uh, worse for them to not book you if they know you're funny and that you work hard and that you're a good person to hang out with you're almost like why are you not booking this person yeah, and, yeah. Then, uh, oh, we've got one. We've already got a brown person on the bill. That's why that kind of. And stuff. there is a and there is a flip side to that, and which is that, and there are lots of comedians who are neurodiverse, and there are lots of people uh, possibly on the autism spectrum, and there are people who sure. maybe social skills are different. But the other thing about those people, lots of those that I know, sometimes when you talk about socialising, the image becomes lock-ins at pubs the image becomes being catty uh, and all that that's not clubbing yeah. and partying and house parties and all that but actually yeah. sometimes that can just be a neurodiverse person and someone who isn't neurodiverse in a car having a chat or you find your own group and i think that's what's yeah. really nice about comedy you do find your own group and because we are all i think all comedians uh, all comedians rock, rock around the Venn diagram. Like we yeah. all kind of like, we're going to go to that bit of the Venn diagram. We're going to have a look at that bit of the Venn diagram. And I think whoever you are, whatever your uh, personality traits are, you will find someone, some people within that big comedy Venn diagram who you can connect with and share with. I think you you always can. Oh, absolutely. And I think when, yeah, when we talk about socializing, it doesn't mean being the life of the party or being, you know, super vocal or anything like that. Absolutely. It, it just means, it just means caring about other people and caring about other mm. comedians and caring about as much as I care about my career. I want to see my friends do well. I, I'm happy when they crush and I'm happy when they do well. And it's just about, um, yeah, I, I, for me, it boils down to why, why are you doing comedy, right? It, are you doing comedy because you want to see yourself on TV? Then maybe, then, then maybe you're doing socializing for the networking side of things, which, you know, I won't say if, whether that's good or not. That's not how I would do things. But if you're doing comedy because you just want to be a comedian and then be a comedian, being a comedian means hanging out with other comedians and, mm. you know, chatting shit and, or not chatting shit, hanging out in the car and being like, <laughs> be like, did you see that special? Yeah, how would you think? Even Ricky, that, that's just chatting about comedy. Ricky, this is episode 13. I think, I yeah. think I've got a anecdote which I tell people, and I don't think I've done it on the podcast yet. This is yes. exciting. Episode 13, I think mm. I've, I've got a piece of wisdom that, but you might tell me that I've already done this piece of wisdom. So when no, I start, I'll just, I'll just edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> or 
go back to the previous episode and edit it out of that episode <laughs> so we can keep it here. So uh, yeah. it's exactly what Rudy was talking about, which is so Richard Osman from Pointless. Uh, and he is at any time, Ricky, you, you do the safe words. Uh, and uh, we've not got a safe word yet, but you do the safe word and I will stop this story if we've done yeah. it before. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So Richard Osman, uh, host of Pointless, uh, big bookseller now, amazing author, great bloke, been a TV producer. I've known him for quite a long time and he was the head of Endermole creatively. He knows his stuff. And uh, I chatted to him once and we were talking about fame and he said, no one is famous. And I said, what are you talking about, Rich? You are famous. He said, no, statistically, no one is famous. Oh, and I course. said, I said, Rich, that's that's not true, Rich, because I used to live in a flat with John Richardson, Russell Howard and John Robbins. Uh, literally, my life disproves your theory. <laughs> and he was like, no. He said, there's no point in trying to be famous because fame doesn't exist. Famous people do not exist. And I went, wrong! He said, let me finish. And I said, fine. He said, this was in Edinburgh. He said, look at all the comedians. Look at all the comedians who are doing their Edinburgh shows to be famous. Look at all the solo shows. Look at all the panel shows. Look at all the sketch shows, package shows. Look at all the improv societies. Then look at all the Americans from their high schools who have come over here en masse. Um, Look at all the actors in plays. Look at then all the people who aren't in Edinburgh and look at all the uh, hospital radio DJs, people who do pub quizzes, people who line up to be on Britain's Got Talent and The X Factor, um, people who do karaoke, people who audition. Line all of those people up and then when you've done that line, find the famous ones in one section of that line. Exactly. And that section of that line is so small that statistically it doesn't exist. Well, it absolutely, because people's definitions of fame are different. My definition of fame wow. is going to be different to someone who doesn't know anything about stand-up, because to me, uh, to me, for example, like you mentioned, um, like John Robbins, you know, John Richardson, those guys, those guys, to me, are famous because I've been admired in comedy for the last what so you know seven eight years or whatever it is so to me mm. it's, it's a it's non it absolutely makes sense but if i said to my mom oh we're going to see john richardson she'd be like i have no idea who that is yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and yeah. that's not uh, that's not a indictment on the the act or anything you know no, that's, no, no. that's about just like the only truly famous people in the world are the people where i'd say like more than 500 million people know your name <laughs> then then yeah. you're famous obama all right obama's famous the Pope. Yeah. The Pope is famous. <laughs> I'd say, um, yeah. Like, those are the yeah. levels. Mother Teresa was famous. But yeah. Ronaldo, 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 and Lionel Messi. Ron yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But, and, Richard's, you know, and Richard's point was, and this exactly links into what Rudy was saying, which is because fame is, is so difficult, because it's an arbitrary concept, don't then focus on trying to be famous. You focus on just trying to be good and then see if that then leads on to that other stuff. See where that being good can take you by being good, by being excellent, by working hard and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. all of those and that 
that's one of the most sort of astute things someone has said to me about it yeah. because I I genuinely I genuinely believe that you just try and be good at what you can do because as Rooney said that's the only thing you can control. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think it's it's really good advice because it's like you know how people always say, oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't strive for the fame. You should just be able to do comedy if if you never made any money from it. Like you should love it just for the sake of it and stuff like that. It's like I think even with the very little things that I've done, I realize that more and more because if you told me when I started stand up that I would even be here at a point where I can write, I've written the 10 minutes that people laugh at. It's like I've hit milestones and met people that I never thought I would ever do or meet or whatever. And even now at that point, it's, I'm still just me. Like, it's like, yeah. it's not, it's like if I extrapolate that 10 years time and or whatever, if I'm like we always say, if I'm winning an Oscar or whatever, I don't imagine that Oscar is going to fulfill me at all. Well, yeah. no, exactly. And it's it's um, it's OK to want those things as well. That's the other thing. It's OK to say to be like, I want to do TV or I want to do be you have my own show. I want to have that. But know that that is always ever going to be a side effect of you being a phenomenal comedian and that is mm. the key all of that sort of stuff comes from just being the best comedian you can be and if you're the best comedian you can be there's no reason why all of that stuff that you might want can't won't happen but if i'm saying i want to do this show or i want to do this and that's what i'm trying to aim towards then it's so myopic you're you're almost you're doing yourself a disservice as an artist as a creator to be like, mm. I need to focus my energies into one area or into one goal. Yeah, all of that will come, you know? There's um, nobody who's, I mean, sorry, go for it, Oliver. No, I'm sure I you just, know way more than me about all. No, no, no. I was going to, do you know what? I was going to actually ask you a question, which is we're recording this on a Monday at the end of May uh, 2021. When's your next gig? My next, so I've got, um, I'm doing an online gig at Angel this week uh, on Wednesday, um, which is just a new material at Angel Comedy Club. But I don't have, let me check. It's not for like a two or three weeks. It's really, it's really barren right now. Um, I've got, a, uh, what do I have? Yeah, I've got Up the Creek in about three weeks, two or three weeks. So and is that a paid thing? No. None okay, of, so, I mean, so you're still doing the open spots. You're still getting seen by people. You're still... Yeah, trying to. I've got a few paid things here and there. I was at um, Comedia on the weekend, which was a paid gig, which was really lovely, doing the, the weekend spot at Comedia Brighton. Oh, uh, lovely. Which was okay, lovely. Okay, so let's and... talk Let's talk that because... Uh, so Stephen Grant, who books Comedia, I know quite well. Um, it's a brilliant gig. Um, maybe this is the the next step for Ricky after doing more open spots and blah 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 how did you, how in a really because we've been very philosophical and very rhetorical today but how practical specifically mm -hmm. did you get that gig at Comedia this weekend sure so obviously so I've been gigging for a bit so I've got a couple of good videos um, which is a very important thing so I've got a good 10 minute video um, I basically sent Comedia an email so, so at the beginning of last year, I was actually um, one of the semi-finalists in Comedia's competition. They ran their own competition for the first time. Um, Jill Edwards ran that. And so through them, I, I basically, I guess they got to know who I am without booking me for anything, obviously. 
Uh, and then I emailed them during lockdown and uh, just with basically my list of my credits. This is who I am. I'm from Australia. I'd love to do five or ten. Anything you've got. Here's my video. If you need anything else, please let me know. If you need to see another video, need to get agent details, whatever you need. Um, and then they came back and basically I'd emailed them the day that was, again, it's luck in many ways as well. I emailed them the day someone had dropped out of their online gig, the one that you um, emceed over. Oh, the, the one that got £11.50 uh, £11. for. Wow. <laughs> yes. The one that you, the one that you told everyone I bribed you with chocolate for. <laughs> yeah, um, and thank which you Which was very really much. frustrating to me because I was only after the show when I thought of the perfect way to get to like talk about it, but it was like the show was done. <laughs> well, I was going to say that all was just using it as an excuse to keep calling me chocolate man. But <laughs> oh, it, came, it came so much later that I, I was more frustrated that I came after. I well, I'm done so it glad it came later. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I did that gig and it was just an online gig. And then I emailed them again. And uh, they basically then just said, look, we're, we're coming back slowly, but we've got an open spot for the two shows on the Saturday. Would you like to do it? And I said, yeah, uh, absolutely. And a lot of this stuff is, it sounds like you're like, yeah, I just emailed them. And they said, yes. But for every email I've sent to them, there's, a thousand emails that I've sent that I've not heard back from. Uh, and there's a thousand cl other clubs that I've been trying to just be like, just put me in front of you for 10 minutes and then pay me out, pay me for the next time you book me. I don't care. Just let me show you what I can do. Um, so from a practical perspective, you, yeah, you get a good video, put together a, an email basically saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. I'd love a 10 minute spot. I love anything that to any way to show you how I am as a comedian, right? All you're trying to do is go into these, because like you mentioned, it's Stephen who books comedia at the end of, at the other end of all of this is just another person, right? Mm. And all you're trying to do is go to that person. Hey, by the way, when you think of funny comedian, hopefully I pop up in your head as well now. And all you're trying to do is make a little space in their brain for your name. Mm. And if you do that enough, you, you get a career. <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah. um so forever yeah so basically that was the process from a practical perspective but again i don't want i i always caveat all of this by saying that doesn't mean that now the next time i even email comedia that means they'll put me on again like it, it doesn't mm -hmm. work as simply as it's not cause and effect like that if it was then comedy would be fucking easy uh <laughs> everyone would know exactly what to do so all you can do is the you know Put yourself out there, make yourself better, get a good video, get a better video. When you have a good 10 video that you're happy with, go towards getting a good 20 video. And all that you're doing then is putting yourself out there and saying, hey guys, please let me gig in front of you. And hopefully enough people like you then to keep getting you back. Mm. I don't know, how does that sound over in terms of that as an answer? It, do you know what? It sounds like a really good answer. The one thing that I'm not very good at is looking at people's videos and the reason is because when i started doing stand-up i started in late 98 so i was starting to get uh you didn't have video back then which, exactly yeah <laughs> it wasn't well no i mean you did but there wasn't, there was wasn't as easy one. wasn't as easy to make a video it wasn't like there were no camera phones so no, you had to have someone a VCR to, on site you had to you had, it was complicated and you had to do all that sort of stuff yeah and so actually i got all my gigs without having videos. So I'm much happier now to 
I'm happy for you to send someone else a video. And then I'm happy for that person to say, I've seen this video. You should put that person yeah. on. I'm like, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> like, is yeah, someone saying- and, and that's the thing. Again, it's, it's because it's another person. You're absolutely right. You, you're someone who, for you, videos aren't what you do when you don't like watching them. And that is, for a thousand different clubs across the UK, you'll have a thousand different personalities who will have their own mm-hmm. opinion on it, whether they watch a video or not, or whether they read the credits. Maybe some people only look and see how you've done in competitions. All right, we'll get you in for 10. Some people see what other clubs have you done, we'll get you in for 10. Some people will mm. see a name of a club, then they'll reach out to that club. Is this guy any good? We'll get you given the 10. But there is no hard and fast rule, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's just how, how comedy I mean, works. That's, mm. Ricky, you, you, even in your like shorter career, you've had that, right? Like with um, the Russell Howard gig, the one where Russell said you will give Ricky five. That's oh, yeah, exactly yeah. It. Like, yeah. That's a, that's a huge credit to have on your cv or whatever you want to call it uh, and that just come about because you were around like it's <laughs> annoying because you can't plan for it and especially people like like me and you who are from that world of i guess science and mm. and order um it's insane <laughs> to think what, what do you mean he just he was there and then he just did a show with russell howard what yeah. are you talking about but yeah it, it is it is the you yeah. can rail against it but it won't change so either you <laughs> yeah. change or or you're sad yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like that. I, I, that's definitely the end. A hundred percent the end. Either you change or you're sad. <laughs> well, this is an aggressive ending to this podcast. No, do you know what? It was a brilliant <laughs> ending. It was the brilliant uh, denouement of the Rudy Tawa story uh, starring Mark <laughs> Olver. Um, yeah, sorry, Mark Sorry, did you say featuring? Did you what the fuck, mate? Uh, yeah. I, I, can I get the whiz Rudy Tawa and Ricky Masindo at the end? So we... We still get something, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it goes... Uh, the Rudy Tawa story, starring with Mark Olver, uh, with Ricky Masindo and Rudy Tawa, featuring the pigeon. <laughs> and then just for safety, you add your name at the end as well. Yeah, 100%. And, yes. and Mark Olver, again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ricky, is there anything else that you want to say before we... Uh, or ask before we let... Uh, uh, Monsieur Tawa leave into uh, into this beautiful day that we're literally he's been over here. Uh, we've had uh, we've got this is the second uh, second good day we've had in the UK since I've been here. <laughs> yeah, okay. so uh, we've 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 captured him. Is there anything else before we uh, let him free into the world? Now I think I'll let you I'll let you go free, Rooney. But thanks thanks for <laughs> I coming. Hope, I hope this has been helpful. I, again, I'm not I'm not nearly on the level of any other guest that you'll have on this podcast. So. But I, I feel like I have probably have the most opinions, and there's a lesson in there as well. Yeah, but that <laughs> is really successful people don't have this many opinions on. But stuff, that's so. why I want. That's why I wanted this one because people learn. Uh, or the, the gigs that I like to run in Bristol, I like to have brand new acts. I like to have acts who've been going a little bit, and I like to have acts who are professional. And I think every single act doesn't just learn from the people above them, they also learn from the people below them as well. So a headliner can see a new act and go, holy shit, I can't believe that person has taken that idea. I can't believe they've come up with that world because Mm. I've just been doing the same old shit for all this time. Well, if you you ever get to a point where you think, and I don't think I can learn anything more about comedy than, um, well, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As a, in general, uh, you can always learn. Um, but, you know, thanks so much, guys. It's been helpful. Bye, Rudy. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks so much.